You can turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30 and to Romans chapter 10. What? We've got to turn to two different places? I know. Uh, don't worry, you'll know why in a bit. But Deuteronomy chapter 30, we are in the last lap of Moses' life. We've spent an entire year with Moses. I'd love for you to be thinking, what has God done in your heart through this series on Moses? We're going to give you a chance to share that in the weeks ahead. But if, is there one story, is there one point where God really just showed you in the life of Moses what God expects from you? So we're in the closing lap of Moses' life, which means we're moving on to a new series in October. I promised you that I would give you a clue today what that new series is. Last week, the clue was it's going to be a book of the Bible that ends with the letter S, which is like almost all of them. (laughs) Uh, But the the next clue is the the series will have something to do with a hammer. A hammer. So now you can guess. Maybe you're a game show type person and you want to guess. That's all right. But it'll have something to do with a hammer and I'll give you another clue next week. So show up next week and you get another clue. But we're excited about what God is doing through his word in our hearts. So in Deuteronomy 30 and in Romans 10, uh, the sermon today is called Famous Last Words. Moses has chapter after chapter where he hands the people of God the covenant, which is they, it's the first time that anybody has been handed part of the Bible. They get the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and Moses is going to give them not only a written last words, you know, like a will and testament, but he's going to say things to them in the closing days of his life, famous last words. I looked up a few famous people today uh, or throughout this week who said things at the end of their life that uh, have become quotable or memorable. So when it comes to famous last words, I've got some slides here. Leonardo da Vinci, his famous last words were this, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. (laughs) Overachiever, his own worst critic, I've offended God and mankind with my art. Uh, Karl Marx said this, Last words are for fools who haven't said enough. (laughs) Who do you think said this one? One last drink, please. That was Jack Daniels. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) John Jacob Astor, who was on the sinking Titanic, uh, gave up his seat so that women could take their place in the lifeboat. And he said this to his wife, the ladies have to go first. Goodbye, dearie. I'll see you later. Of course, he didn't make it off the ship, but famous last words. Uh, Leonard Nimoy, a.k.a. Spock, said, A life is like a garden. Perfect moments can be had, but not preserved except in memory. For a logical guy, that's pretty poetic, you have to admit. And then, I like this one the best. Union General John Sedgwick in the Civil War said, They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. And then a sniper took him out. Famous last words. When it comes to aging, when it comes to dying, we all think about it, we all wonder about it, and we hope that our last words won't be foolish, right? Moses is saying some last things intentionally to get God's people ready for the future. And so famous last words comes from Deuteronomy 30, Romans 10, and from Moses' faith, it's like he's speaking to us. We're going to hear what a 120-year-old guy is commending to an entire generation of God's people. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word together. Father, we do thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for this book, for your Word. We pray that you would go to work in our hearts, use your Word to do everything you've promised it would do. May it be, Lord, the sword that cuts through and penetrates us. May it be the fire that consumes everything that's not holy. We just pray that it would be everything, Lord, that you have said 
And we pray that we would be blessed by what you're saying to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, are you there in Deuteronomy 30? Are you there? Chapter uh, 30, verse 11. Here's what it says. For this commandment that I have commanded you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. What is he basically saying here? You can jot this down. Famous last words. He's saying, no more excuses. No more excuses. No God personally. No God personally. Now what on earth is he trying to convey here? Well, he's saying this commandment, it's not too hard. It's not far off. It's not in heaven. It's, it's not beyond the sea. It's here. It's, it's right here. He's listing excuses that people might give now, and he's doing it in kind of a mocking way, like, like I walked down a mountain that was on fire with things God put in stone. We know God's will. And if you're like, you know, if only I could just get up there, like get up there and talk to him, then I'd know him. And I, what? If, if only, like, I'll just go on this journey and like cross the sea and, and find myself. What? He's, he's mocking the idea that this giant enterprise, this huge quest has to happen now before you can actually know God. No more excuses. Know God personally. It's really frustrating when you can't find something that's important. Am I right? Anybody lost anything recently that you just can't find now? Raise your hand if you've lost something recently and you're still looking for it. You can't find it. We spent two weeks looking for my daughter's wallet. Couldn't find it, couldn't find it, couldn't find it. Finally, it was in the pool bag under towels. It's always in one of those spots, right? The spots that you don't check every day. I ordered two boxes of contacts like a month ago, and, and I cannot find them. I'm wearing my glasses today because... because uh, actually, it was two per eye. Four boxes of contacts have disappeared in our house. I don't know if the dog's wearing them. I don't know, but they're gone. I, we've looked everywhere, and we just can't find them. So I had to waste money and buy, buy four new boxes. And guess what I'm going to do tomorrow? I bet you I'll find them, right? Isn't that the way it works? <laughs> Moses is talking here about the frustration of trying to find God. If only I could get up to heaven. Maybe he's on the other side of the sea. Maybe, and he's like, what? What? And listen, some people in this room have spent their whole lives like, God's never done anything for me. I don't know him. Where's he been? And, and you haven't found him. You haven't, or you knew him when you were younger and you simply walked away and he feels like he's on the other side of an ocean right now. Hey, no more excuses. Don't be confused about how to find God. Don't be discouraged and think God is too far away. You have to swim some sort of an ocean to get there. God is not unfindable. God is not unreachable. God is not unknowable. You can find him. You can know him. Do you know God? Do you know how to know God? No more excuses. Know God personally. Write this down. How do we know him? God handed us his law. God handed us his law. Moses is saying here, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard. What is he saying? Well, he's, 
he's saying that he wrote down the statutes and the laws of God. So there's a written commandment, this commandment that I've given you today. And what he's talking about is the first five books of the Bible. Here you go. This is called the Bible. Oh, what is it? I've never seen one of these before. Is there an app for that? Like the, imagine for the first time ever being like, boom, the first five books of the Bible. There it is. And he's like, this is from heaven. Right here. This, this is from heaven. So God handed down his law. Moses would record the first five books. In general, that's called the law. Then later would come the Psalms. Uh, the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. The Psalms in general is the category that includes the Proverbs, Song of Solomon. It's all of the artistic books. The prophets includes the historical works, the prophecies. So the law, the Psalms, and the prophets makes up the whole Old Testament. At this point, they just got done with the law. Now, God also gave us the Ten Commandments through Moses, which was in the law. And that's God's way of saying, when God gives the Ten Commandments, that's God's way of saying from heaven, I know you. I know you. And here's, here's ten reasons why you don't know me. Okay? The Ten Commandments were not stepping stones to get to God. There's ten reasons why we didn't know him. It's God saying, I know you. You dishonor your father and mother. You lie. You steal. You commit adultery. You go after other guys. I know you. I know you. And Moses brought this down from a flaming mountain. Now, when it comes to God saying, I know you, he hands us the Bible to say, you know me. You know me. Here's everything I've done in the Israelites' life. Here's everything I did in Egypt. Here's everything I did with Abraham. You know me. I know you. You know me. It's basically what the Bible's all about. God saying, I know you. And him saying, now you can know me. No more excuses. And Moses scoffs at the person who would then say, I, I just don't get it yet. I just, I just don't get it. I just, I, I got to go up there. Does anybody have a ladder? It's laughable. When God has done so much to say, Here, here's me. And when he's done so much to say, here's you, you can't say, I have no clue. Today, some would say, who knows? They don't think the truth can actually be understood. They, they leave this world not knowing. I read Steve Jobs' biography about a year ago, and in Steve Jobs, founder of Apple, uh, as he was approaching his last days, he was asked by his biographer about God. And Jobs said this, I'm about 50-50 on believing in God. 50-50. For most of my life, I felt there must be more to our existence than meets the eye. But maybe it's like an on-off switch. Click, and you're gone. Click, and you're gone. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. 50-50, I don't know. I don't know. And most people live with the I don't know mentality. And 1400 B.C., Moses is like, don't tell me you don't know. Okay, 1400 B.C., don't tell me. I didn't, I didn't come down from an inferno up there for you to be like, Ooh. okay, it's something God doesn't want us to use as an excuse. Others say today they think they'll just decide for themselves who God is and what's right and wrong. Can't know, so I'll just make it up. No more excuses. We can know God personally. 
jot this down. Here's how else we can know God. God sent down his son. God sent down his son. So if you flip ahead to the book of Romans, the apostle Paul quotes from this verse in the New Testament. And he does a really awesome thing with it. He looks at Moses saying, God gave his law so you can know him. And he concludes that by saying, and now he's given us his son. So it it says in Romans 10, verse 5, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Do you see what Paul did there? He quoted Deuteronomy 30. Who will ascend? And then he's like, to bring Christ down? Like, he's saying, if it was foolish back then to say, who's going to go up there? How much more today is it foolish to say, well, if only I can get up there and talk to God. If I had a conversation with God, then, then and, and Paul's like, what would you do? Bring Christ down? It's already happened. It's already happened. Well, You know what I need to do? And People in Paul's day and in Moses' day had very superstitious beliefs about the grave. And Paul's like, don't say that you're going to die and go into the abyss and then, and then what? And then what, what are you going to do? Are you going to bring Christ back? He already did that. He already came back. So Paul's extending the thought of Moses and saying, if in the Old Testament God said, here's my law, and in the New Testament God said, here's my son, no more excuses. Here's my law. Here's my son. No more excuses. You can know God. You can know his law. You can know yourself through his law and through his son. Wow. No more excuses. Know God personally. Now, back to Deuteronomy 30, continuing on. Moses continues his last words. He says in verse 15, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. Number two, jot this down. Love God with all your heart. Love God with all your heart. It talks a lot about the heart here. It talks a lot about loving here. It says in verse 16, If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, then it says, don't, in verse 17, let your heart turn. These are all relational descriptions of what God wants for us. He wants us to love him. He wants us to not have a heart that's turned against him. This is all relational. He made us to know him. He made us to love him. Love God with all your heart. The historical context here is God has marched the Israelites out of Egypt. They marched to Sinai where he gave them the law. Then he marched them up to the promised land and said, go take it. They faltered. So he judged them and sentenced them to wander 40 years in the wilderness. He fed them. He clothed them. He kept their clothes so that they wouldn't wear out. He chased away the serpents and the snakes. He 
He, he gave them victory in battle. He did so much to keep this wandering new nation alive. He did so much. And now they're about to enter in. The next generation is about to enter in. And, and Moses is like, love the Lord. Love him. Look at all he's done for you. Love him. Don't let your heart turn. Don't let your heart turn. Love him. And it is all about loving God with all our hearts. And the stakes couldn't be higher. What does he say here? I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. This is life or death. Life or death. Jot this down. This doesn't mean fearful submission to a tyrant. Moses is not telling them, you better be terrified. You should, you should shake in your boots or your sandals. Every day, because God is terrifying and strong. In, in many other faiths, the relationship between man and God or man and the gods is one of absolute terror. Absolute terror. There's no love. The gods or the God they follow has not done anything to convey love or welcome them into a, a relationship of love. It's simply do their will and stay out of their war path. And people live in fear. That's not the way for God's people. It's not fearful submission to a tyrant. It's love. It's love. When I was a youth pastor, I was talking to some kid who was getting on the wrong track, turning away from God, and I said, what's your issue? I mean, why, why won't you follow Christ? And he said, why would I follow a God who puts a gun to my head and says, worship me or go to hell? Okay. I said, yeah, that's a good question. But I think we put the gun to God's head. Remember the cross? We killed his son. We killed his son. His blood was all over the ground. Whose gun is to whose head? I see a God who sent down the most amazing eternal expression of love anyone ever can. If somebody, if somebody sent their son to die for you, would you be like, can't believe how they put a gun to my head and told me to be friends with them? What kind of thinking is that? We're the problem, not God. That's what I said to him. It's not about fearful submission to a tyrant. I don't know how you imagine God when you imagine him. Maybe you think of him as some evil, power-grabbing, unjust, oppressive. You don't know him. He's love. He's love. And turning on him is turning on love. And then where do you turn? Where do you turn if you turn away from the one who is love? God's plan for you is best. God's plan for you is life. God's expression to you your whole life has been one of love. He gave you life. And, and he loves you. And he gave his son. And if you turn on that, if you, if you turn against that, he's not the problem. He's not the problem. What you're saying to him is you'd rather not be ruled by him. You'd rather have a universe with a dead God. That's what you'd rather have. And God is so loving, he gave us that request. We watched his son die on the cross. You'd prefer a universe with a dead God? I'll even grant that. Can you love me now? But many don't. Have you seen the pictures of Hurricane Florence? We've got friends out in Raleigh, North Carolina. I've been texting them every day. Check out a picture from space. That's a big one. Category 4, 
And then, and then as it made landfall, it downgraded to a 1, but that's even worse because they, they kind of want it to move fast. And when it slows down, then it starts to sucking up all the water, and it, then it just pounds the cities with the water. So worst case scenario there. And the governor of North Carolina, Governor Roy Cooper, uh, said this about Hurricane Florence. It's an uninvited brute who doesn't want to leave. And for many people, that's your definition of God. An uninvited brute who doesn't want to leave me alone. But God is not inviting you to follow him as a fearful, as if he's a tyrant. He wants you to know him and to love him. God's inviting you to a love relationship with him, one that displays he loves you. God is your creator. He gave you life. Do you know, sometimes people put on their seatbelt when they're on the expressway. When you go to Six Flags Great America, you put on your harness and you make sure it's all secure, right? Because you're about to travel like 50 miles an hour. Earth has no track. Have you taken science? Earth has no track. We're just floating around an inferno. Okay. Wow. I'm a little nervous, you know, when my kids were younger to watch them cross the street. Earth has no track, and we're orbiting an incinerator. God's keeping you safe, okay? God's keeping you safe. He's being so loving every day in the universe he's created. He's done everything for you, everything for you. If you feel like God has been some stingy, cold, withholding, I can't catch a break, look around. Look around. God is doing a perfect job caring for you. He's your creator, and he's your provider, he makes the crops grow. He sends the sun, the rain, the seasons. It's not about fearful submission to a tyrant. It's about being honest that God is love and he's done a fantastic job loving you throughout your life and reciprocating that. So love God with all your heart. Not fearful submission to a tyrant. Write this down. Not religious rule following. Not religious rule following. So it says here, Moses said, I set before you life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments... I command you today, keep the commandments, statutes, rules, a lot of rules. Old Testament is filled with a lot of rules, right? So what happened is the Israelites read through this, and they skipped all the love parts. <laughs> they skipped all the love parts. They skipped all the relationship parts, and they just made it all about the rules, especially in the New Testament. Um, in in uh, Romans 9, 32, the Apostle Paul talked about the problem in the New Testament, and here's what he said. Why did the Israelites miss it? Because they didn't pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They got this rule book and they were like, all right, let's do it. But that wasn't the point. It wasn't about the rule book. The rules showed you you were wrong with God. And then he invited you into a love relationship to fix that. But they just wanted to be all about the rules. And their hearts went wrong. It says in the Bible about the Israelites, they honor me with their lips, but listen, they're hearts are far from me. Do you know it's possible to be religious, to honor God with your lips and with your routines, but for your heart to be far from him? Do you know that there are people on judgment day who are going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this? I was at the work day. I, I served in the parking lot. I, and you know what Jesus says? You know what he says? I never knew you. I never knew you. Haunting words for the rule followers, 
The rules weren't the point. God didn't give the Old Testament as like a merit contest to see who could follow most of the rules. That's not the point. It was never the point. It's not that you can you try and climb higher up on the ladder of obedience so you could holler at everybody underneath you. That's not what it was about. It was never about working your way into heaven. Listen, one of the biggest mistakes that we can make in life is to become religious people who don't love God. Are you a religious person who doesn't love God? Are you a religious person? Listen, I got to tell you, according to what this book says, religious people don't go to heaven. You know that? Religious people don't go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. They don't, they don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Are you a saved person? Has God's law showed, shown you your sin? Have you realized you need a savior? Or do you think you're doing a pretty good job keeping God's rules? Are you walking the path of self-effort? Because that's not the way God showed his Israelites to walk. So not fearful submission to a tyrant, not religious rule following, jot this down, but gladly honor God because he saved you by faith. The Israelites were taken through the Red Sea. Here we go. I mean, it had to be terrifying to walk through walls of water. They were saved. They were delivered. They were redeemed. That's how they got into God's favor. They did nothing. He did everything. But many of their hearts turned away. Many of their hearts turned away. They weren't gladly honoring God who saved them. Listen, maybe you grew up in the church and maybe your heart has turned away. Maybe you have gotten cold to God. Who knows why? Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe your parents didn't do as good of a job as you thought. Maybe you feel like you need to be more open-minded than what the Bible challenges you to be. I don't know, but you feel far from God. You feel like there's an ocean. You feel like there's a grand canyon of separation and God hasn't been real to you recently. And listen, your heart has wandered. Your heart has wandered. But there's a call back to him in the Bible. There's a call back to loving God and knowing him. And it's so awesome that the Bible says when we are faithless, he is faithful. And he calls us back time and time again. Listen, no matter, no matter what you've done, God will welcome you back. No matter where you've been, no matter how long you've been away, God will welcome you back. Because it's not about the track record. It's not about the rap sheet. It's not, oh, it's not like God looks at it. He's like, well, one sin too many. Sorry. Door's shut. That's not the heart of a loving God. I saw a movie a few years ago, a short movie produced by uh, Harvest Bible Chapel that planted us. It's called The Ride. It's about a taxi driver who's upset that he had to work on Christmas Eve. Then he picks up a guy. He finds out this guy is suicidal. This guy is, in fact, planning to end his life. And so now the taxi driver realizes he has to try and save this guy's life. And he finds out the source of this man's problem is he hasn't talked to his family in forever. And the guy says, well, why don't you call your parents? Why don't you call your dad? And he said, I, I, don't, even, I don't even think he'd pick up the phone. It's that bad. I, I don't even think he'd pick up the phone. So this guy calls his dad, leaves a message, and says, Listen, I've got a lot going on in my life. It's Christmas Eve. I know we haven't seen each other in like 20 years, but I'm just going to drive by. And if you want to talk, leave a light on on the porch, and then I'll know that I can come to the door. And check out the scene where the cab driver drives him past the house.
I don't know how you think God feels about you. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how you think God feels about you. A lot of people live in this world thinking God never smiles, is never happy, can never be pleased, and um, God loves you. God loves you. I love. That's so precious, isn't it? The love of a father who's been waiting 20 years for the call. And that's the heart of our Heavenly Father. So maybe you just need to hear today that it's time to come back. No more excuses. No God personally. He handed down His law. He sent down His Son. And, and He did it so that you would love Him with all of your heart. It's not about fearful submission to a tyrant. We're not all going to be in heaven like, here comes Dad. He's in a terrible mood again maybe he'll pass by shortly and then we can all have some fun again. What? We are so duped by lies. It's not fearful submission to a tyrant. It's not religious rule following. Look at my sash with all of my badges. God surely loves me now. Surely loves me now. No. It's not that. It's about gladly honoring God because he saved you, because he saved you by faith. If you look back to the book of Romans, <clears throat> chapter 10, verse 15, uh, it says in Romans 10, actually I think I, <clears throat> Romans 10, 5 to 8, and then it goes on to say this in verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can go back to Deuteronomy 30. <clears throat> Moses does the same thing. The apostle Paul sets life and death before people, and in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 30, Moses does the same thing in verse 19. Based on the love of God and the law of God, it says in verse 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. Choose life, and God will bless you forever. Choose life. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? I am the, I'm the way and the truth and the life. The life. He is the life. He is the life. Choose life, and God will bless you forever. The idea of God saved people, Israel, walking out of bondage, they were slaves in Egypt, walking out of bondage and into a land flowing with milk and honey, 
that image is a portrait of you getting to heaven. God breaks you free from the shackles of sin. He walks you through the waters of death, and then he lands you safely forever in a paradise, in a land with everything to make your heart content, and he's there with you. That's a portrait of what he needs to do in your life, break you free from sin, walk you through the waters of death, bring you to a land of promise, and he's willing to do it. He's saying, choose life. Choose life. And the Apostle Paul in the New Testament equates that with choose Christ. Choose Christ, and you choose life. Forever is a long time, and God is getting us ready for it. The Wall Street Journal had a column recently about how the baby boomers are coping with aging. I gave boomers a hard time last week because I read a book that was amazing. And um, so I figured I would <clears throat> bring this up here again today. It's about the boomers and their aging. And here's what it says. In the Life and Arts section, the headline said, Forget Senior, Boomers Search for a Better Term. The bottom line in this article is that baby boomers don't want to be known as senior adults. The baby boomers have been defined as babies and booming babies. And having redefined the youth of the 60s and beyond, this very young youth-conscious generation does not want to admit that we could ever be uh, actually aging or aged or senior adults. So Claire Ansberry in, the Wall Street, or in this uh, Wall Street Journal tried out some other terms that are being used in advertising and in pop culture. The other terms being used today instead of senior citizens would be vintage adults. <laughs> I was recently at a large evangelical church where I heard a new term, legacy adults. Albert Moeller, commenting on this, said, you can call it anything you want, but time is not moving backwards. It's moving forward. <laughs> hey, your time is coming sooner than you'd like. Your time is coming. And God is saying, choose life. Once you step out of this world, it's decided. There's no second chances. And it's permanent. Choose life, and God will bless you forever. How do I do that? Well, jot this down. Choose to believe God's word. Choose to believe God's word. Moses is a witness to God's word. He, he literally wrote it and handed it to the Israelites. So, so choosing this is choosing life. Rejecting this is rejecting life. Rewriting this, hear me now, rewriting this is rejecting life. Choose to believe God's word. If you chuck this book through the window and think you're okay with God, you don't understand heaven's law. Heaven does have a law. Heaven does have a court. Heaven does have a judge. And the point of the law is to confess we've broken it, to commit to keeping it. And the only way to do that is when Christ is in us, helping us. That's it. How can I walk in a way that's pleasing to God? Realize we've broken his commandments. Commit to them. Admit they're true. And then ask Christ to help us keep them. Choose to believe God's word. Next, write this down. Choose to reject false beliefs. So it says in verse 17, if your heart turns and you won't hear, but you're draw away, drawn away to worship other gods and to serve them, you'll perish. So today we live in a day where it's very popular, it's very common to say, well, all religions basically teach the same thing. But that's absolutely false. They teach very different things. At the core of every major question in life, question of origin, 
where did we come from? The question of meaning, why are we here? The question of morality, what's right and wrong? The question of destiny, where are we going? Every single religion teaches different things. There's really nothing similar about them, which means you have to pick one. <clears throat> so we have to reject false beliefs. We, we can't have it both ways. Sometimes people try and say, sure, I follow Jesus, and I meditate at a Buddhist temple, and I read some New Age literature, and I, I follow some ancient Chinese proverbs, and it basically it's like an old country buffet approach to religion. Just put a little of everything on your plate, and then you think in the end that that will all work out. But, but that goes against what God's Word says. You can't choose them all. That's not choosing life. Choose to reject false beliefs. And beliefs can be wrong. Behaviors can be wrong too. So our idols can include anything from power, money, living for ourselves, living for someone who is our idol and will do anything to make that person happy. But that means we've rejected God. We've chosen a false God. And we have to topple those things and reject false beliefs. So choose to believe God's word, choose to reject false beliefs, and then jot this down, choose to build your life on faith in Christ. The Old Testament choose life was, here's the first five books of the Bible, admit you've broken them, ask God to help you, love him with all your heart, and he'll lead you into the land. The New Testament equivalent of that is, here's God's son, admit you've rejected him, ask him to be your savior, love him with all your heart, follow him into heaven. That, they're the same, Okay. And so what we need is we need to build our life on faith in Christ. In Romans 10, 9 to 10, it says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, so you have to confess with your mouth, you got to say it, you got to say it, Jesus is Lord. So maybe like me, you were raised in a tradition, so I was raised in a tradition where I was baptized as a baby, okay, and in my faith tradition, they taught me that that saved me, meaning my parents and the priests did it for me. That's not biblical. I have to say with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, before I can be saved. That's what the Bible teaches. Um, so have you confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord? Then it says, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. Jesus lived the perfect life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. He was thrown in the tomb. On the third day, God raised him up miraculously, Easter morning. He now rules heaven. He's, he's alive right now, forever, and he rules heaven. So do you believe in your heart that that's true? Or do you think that's just an old myth? That's some foolish, ah, the disciples made that up. Yeah, they, they stole the body. That, that's just, you know, people wrote that later. I mean, do you really believe that the gospel is true, that Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose again? You have to believe it. That is the only thing you can believe in that will trigger God saving you by faith because you're, you need a substitute. So confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. And then you will be saved and justified. The word saved means you need a rescue. Above all, above all, the biggest thing you need in your spiritual life is a rescue. You don't need to be taught. You don't need to be coached. You don't need to be helped. You don't need to be healed. You need to be saved. You need to be saved. So my daughter worked at the Payless Pool all summer long, and before she started her job, they trained her how to rescue people. Then they do little tests all summer long, and she's sitting on her perch, and if she looks down at the bottom of the deep end and sees... You know, a kid there, what is she going to do? Dive in and rescue that person. You're on the bottom of the water in the deep end, spiritually. Okay. God needs to save you. But it takes so much humility to admit that that's how far your sins have taken you. If you think you're a pretty good person, remember that the Bible says you're a pretty dead person. You're a pretty dead person. 
who needs to be saved. And then justified. The word justified means you have legal trouble in God's court of law. Legal trouble. You have legal trouble. You ever get those... uh, you ever get those telemarketer calls? Lauren got a telemarketer call yesterday. You are in great legal jeopardy. Your taxes are past due. Call this number and we will help you. It's fake. I'm like, no, no, no. We paid all our taxes. They're, but they're trying to rope you in, right? By telling you, you have legal problems. And have you ever been, have you ever been through the exhaustion of legal issues? You got to go to court. You got to get an attorney. You got to stand up there like, oh. Back in my day, I got three speeding tickets. I had to go to court. I thought they were going to put me in the orange jumpsuit and put me away forever. Standing up there, the other attorney's looking at me, and then I forgot my insurance card didn't have an expiration date on it. So the judge is like, well, we can't accept this. I'm like, Mom, I need help. My mom came up, and she became my defense attorney. She got me out of problems. Listen, you have to choose Christ because he alone can justify you in the highest court of law Imagine if you were standing in the Supreme Court in trouble. Imagine if you're standing in heaven's court in trouble. That's so much worse. Jesus alone can take away all of your sins. Jesus is your life. He alone can lead you into heaven forever. I'd like to give you a chance to respond to this sermon today. If you look in your bulletin, we put a sermon response card in the bulletin, and we're going to give you a chance right now to do something unique. We want to give people a chance to respond in different ways to the sermon. But this is a chance for you to write down how you're responding to this sermon. And we put pens in the chair backs in front of you, or you can borrow from your neighbor. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this sermon response card and write down a three-sentence testimony of faith. So here's my three-sentence testimony of faith. You ready? Uh, Put your name on it, right? Put your name on your paper. Ryan Hall. I was raised Catholic and followed <clears throat> the steps, but never truly knew God. It's my first sentence. I was raised Catholic and followed the steps, but never truly knew God. In high school, the bass player in my heavy metal band invited me to his church, and I heard the gospel. One night, kneeling next to my bed, I confessed my sins and asked Jesus to save me forever. It's my story. I'd like you to take a moment and write down your three-sentence story. Make sure you write the word Jesus somewhere in your story. And if you don't have a story, this can be your day. If you've never turned from sin and trusted Jesus as Savior, your story can start today. Write a prayer of faith to Jesus asking him to save you. There's a place for your name and number And if you want to check the box that says, I'd like to talk to a pastor about my questions, I'd like to discuss baptism with someone, or I'm deciding to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord today, you can check that. We're going to give you some time right now, you don't have to rush it, uh, to write out a response to this sermon. Go ahead and write out your testimony right now.